Stick around for another show you might enjoy here, where imagination meets relaxation on the Mutual Audio Network. Thanks for listening. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Welcome to Chronosphere Fiction. This is your host, Daniel French. And it's time for Gathgarn the Eternally Unfurnished, Chapter 6. Strap in, we are listener-supported. So please go to patreon.com slash chronosphere and contribute. Contact us or leave a story submission at chronosphere.fiction.com at cox.net c-o-x here we go the town bustled crowded with patrolling guardsmen many were hungry for retribution knowing their allies had been butchered in the catacombs beneath the city the bulging baron's crew was equally piqued the loss of their own causing search parties to scour the countryside no one seemed to care much for the baron himself Excepting that his murder was so brazen as to be unbelievable. His swarthy crew only wondered as to who might replace him and if the new head would continue their employment. Captain Tedev issued his orders to scour the dilapidated city, but knew their target would be gone. None had seen him since the encounter in the catacombs. He held no hope that a sign of him would be found and acted with resigned stoicism. After he felt the guard was duly roused and occupied, he asked Afghan's group to join him in his office. As eager as they were to continue their hunt, he insisted, promising to take little of their time. When he mentioned the aged bottle of spirit he kept for particularly difficult days, the party's interest intensified. All agreed to take the moment to collect themselves. They made their way through hostos, disorienting buildings and streets, passing bristling patrols, sending brief salutes to the captain and awed gazes to Gafgarn. Sully and Dorden had previously mentioned to others their exploits in the catacombs, and apparently word spread about the wolf floating in the dark, flying like an arrow. Gafgarn returned to the flabbergast and dazzled with a sneer. He wasn't intent on being anyone's sideshow. He gave sidelong glances, obese with dismay, at his two underlings, who remained silent and avoided all eye contact. They finally came to a teetering building with barred windows and a corral in its backyard. Weapon racks indicating the area was used for sparring. Only a few guards remained to watch the mostly empty cells. On the upper floor, they came to the captain's office. It was a basic and bare affair, populated by a sturdy but simple desk and a small cot. With a heavy sigh, he sat and indicated all present should do the same. Gafgarn unsheathed his mallet and leaned on it for support. Wither lit his gigantic curving pipe, sending gentle billowing puffs into the dark ceiling. I know you have places to be. But I thought it might be of benefit to stop for a moment and take stock of things. Hm? The captain began. As he did so, several guards brought in soup and bread for everyone and laid several cups on the desk. The heat and aroma managed to brighten the gloom of the evening somewhat. The uncorking of the bottle Ted had retrieved from a drawer brightened the room even more. He poured into each cup as he spoke. This AJ is more than some cat purse. If he's still in the area, I want to catch him. But it might help to know more about the scoundrel. At least you three know something, right? He indicated Wither, Aleda, and Gafgarn, and placed the bottle aside. 
Elena spoke first. You'd be disappointed to learn that the Guild knows very little. AJ stands for Albino Jester. We don't know his name, or where he's from, or even what he's after. Then what do you know, hmm? You're supposed to detect things the Kingdom's regular guard won't, right? So detect! She took a pull from her cup and relished the sweet and spicy flavor within, then continued. AJ acts almost compulsively, so much so that it seems he thinks little before doing anything. In every town and city he's committed a crime, there's almost never a communication to anyone about what he wants. No demands, no blackmail, no ransom. He just causes chaos. Always murder? Often, but not always. Sometimes his crimes are almost juvenile. In a small town, he's accused of stealing everyone's socks in a night and leaving them in a bear den. Once, he changed all the names on a horse racing ledger and caused an uproar at the betting office. What did he change the names to? I don't remember the specifics, but each was scatological. Doran chuckled, <laughs> choking on his laugh when Sully placed an elbow in his ribcage. Well, so why the murders? What's the point of all this in Hosto? And why are you so passionate about this man, Professor? Because, old boy, one of his many villainous deeds includes kidnapping. My sister, to be precise. And I'm very eager to have her back before the scoundrel does something contemptuously more regrettable. As for Hausto, AJ's actions are usually chaotic, prone to whatever insanity drives him. It doesn't seem they were all connected. Except for the chair thing. Her one eye regarded Gafgarn. Yeah, what's the deal with that? That bit is obvious enough, isn't it, old boy? Wither muffled as he smoked his pipe. They all looked at him and grinned pulling the pipe out and raising his cup for dramatic effect. He's got a crush on Gafgarn! Oi! Jokey's got a thing for Gaffy! AJ is fascinated by him. The bodies in chairs are proof enough. It's the curse. He's taunting me, trying to piss me off. Is it working? Yes. I can't blame him for finding your affliction interesting. But is he really just killing people to poke fun at you? I already told you, Captain. He's crazy. This isn't beyond him. Each killed was in a position of power or authority. Mm, the dead, right. Simple enough, I suppose. Though going for the Baron was pretty ballsy. Over the top, even. Sir, you have that in common with them, too. Sully remarked to Gafgarn. I know. Deposed, but still a leader. I don't understand. The wolf here is a throne waiting for him back home across the border. Apparently, he united all the clans in the Wildlands. They won't follow him if he can't sit on his throne, however. Wow, I didn't realize I was escorting and arresting royalty. And you united the clans? That's no mean feat. After centuries when the only time you'd see them work together was to fight off an invasion from the kingdoms. You might make for a valuable political prisoner, you know. Gafgarn eyed him with an angry suspicion, and Tedev responded with raised hands and an innocent look. But I'm just captain of the guard, hmm? I'm no one's army or court. I put myself as far away from that mess as I could. I'm loyal to the crown and all, but I'm done with wars and fool machinations. Is that why you're in this backwater? Yes, volunteered for it. My men are all ill-equipped, undertrained, and hardly motivated. But I appreciate that challenge, rather than licking the boot of whoever was born from whoever else's void praised blood. What about the Baron? He mostly stuck to himself, as long as I stayed out of his way. We left each other alone, made our lives easier. I cared about the city, he cared about 
other things. You know, Captain, I could use a man like you. You're obviously capable and wasted here. My people appreciate strength and honor. Seems you've some. No, 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 big fella. I've had enough politics. I just protect people. Hmm? And that's fine by me. No need to make things more complicated. Sounds like there's a story behind that. Another life. One full of politics and oaths I'd rather not revisit. My only loyalty is to the people of Hosto now. And I rather like it. Anyway, what would you recruit me for, Gafgarn? Going to invade your own lands and lay claim by force? The kingdoms were successful for some time, but there hasn't been a victory on our side in years. How could you expect to do any different? And won't they still reject you if you can't sit on the throne? My people appreciate strength. Even a farmer can fight, but not all can lead. I'm in enemy territory, peace or not. I'll need at least a small troop to watch my back while I work on fixing things. Back to that, the captain interjected, leaning forward onto his desk. What in the world was that? Is this really happening? I saw it with my own eyes, but is there really some sort of magic at work here? It appears so, old boy, and it seems tied to those immaculate boots. Aleda snickered in disbelief, giving the room a look of disapproval. Wither continued, Think what you want, dear. If proof points only to the impossible, then it must be true. So why not just take off the boots? Tried. Can't. Well, that's a shame. So you're just going to be like that for the rest of your life? Hm? No. What will you do? Wasn't too sure. Until now. Oh? Did you notice something odd about the Baron's office? Aside from all the dead folk, you mean? <laughs> something was missing. None of the Baron's jewelry, none of his valuables, nothing that could be sold easily and for good coin. Only one thing. Those gauntlets. Indeed, old boy. Those with the same design and spotless effect as these very boots. Wither waved dramatically at the gilded footwear. Why take them, though? What's AJ's game now? Like I said, to piss me off. Translated, it's to ensure we follow, old boy. He knows we're interested in them. The gauntlets guarantee Gafgan will pursue him. Fine. So the giant and the professor have common cause. And what of you, Aleda? Surely there are easier bounties? Maybe AJ is worth a great deal, but couldn't you find easier prey? Maybe even make more in a shorter amount of time. Aleda seemed to hesitate for a moment, as if a thought crossed her mind like a blizzard freezing her. Then she quickly regained her composure and responded, I like the challenge. And yes, AJ is worth a great deal. Nothing personal? No. Sounds like a story behind that. Aleda gave him a nasty look. Tedev looked pensive for a moment and then shook his head. All right, fair enough. None of my business anyway. I'm just curious. Well, if you're all done with your food and drink, I'd be happy to let you rest here. We've plenty of beds. No, Gafgarn said as he returned his mallet on his back, secured by a tight loop of leather. We can't afford to lose him. If we rest, it has to be on the move. Exiting the compound, Wither confronted Aleda in a hushed tone. It seems you've a personal grudge with all wayward Jester. I understand, but I assume your vendetta won't get in the way. It's just a job. I don't know what you're talking about. Keep convincing yourself, just don't get in my way, and none of this apprehending him alive. I know the guild often values a mark more when he still breathes. When I find him, I find my sister, and he dies. I accept nothing less. Believe me, Wither, that won't be a problem. The group left without further delay. Captain Tedev watched them from the rickety wall until the moonlight no longer illuminated their place on the road north. He let out a sigh of relief and left to finish his spirit and sleep. The party on the road slept on the move. Gafgarn and his two underlings on the roof of the carriage, Leda in the saddle and Wither in the driver's seat. Many doubted that Wither had slept at all when they woke in the early morning to find him still huffing on his pipe. 
As they trundled along the path, a broad wooded copse ahead and hostile on the horizon behind them. They saw a figure sitting on the crumbling stone wall on the side of the trail. When they neared, it appeared it wasn't alone. Its entourage consisted of the bodies of five other individuals in the grass behind the figure. Even closer, they could tell the figure was a woman, and she was cleaning a long, thin, one-sided sword in her lap. Her skin was dark ebony, her black hair braided tightly against her scalp into an intricate design that wove around itself asymmetrically, ending in a tight, boxy spiral on the right side of her head, just above her ear. Her eyes, a subdued golden brown, regarded her blade serenely from a face that could pass as sculpted from polished obsidian, with high cheekbones and a resolute pointed chin. She wore a stylized white robe with an ornate, high, narrow collar that plunged to her bosom in the shape of a dagger. Spacious sleeves descended to her wrists, the bottom of her shirt to just above her ankles, the robe parting at her waist. Intricate embroidering followed the edges of the robe around the wrist, collar, and hem. The design was strikingly asymmetric, like the rows of braiding on her head. With interlocking shapes and bisecting lines in a flashy array of gold, orange, various hues of red, and highlights of turquoise. Below, she wore loose-fitting golden pants, and her shoes were simple wooden platforms with prongs reaching to the ground like tiny stilts. A round, flat hat of woven, woody material rested on the wall next to her, gently rocking in the light breeze. A shaggy brown horse rested next to her with a large rolled pack in various colors on its back. To all present, the display was mesmerizing. It was hard to tell with her attire, but she seemed slim from the shape of her neck, wrists, and ankles. The arm that didn't tend to her blade hung limply to her side. Gafgarn wondered if it was injured. The carriage came to stop in front of her. From his vantage point atop the wagon, Gafgarn could see the dead were cheaply dressed, and each wore a red bandana tied somewhere on their bodies. He dismounted, causing the vehicle to rock behind him, and approached the stoic woman, her eyes still lowered to her blade. Run into some trouble! The woman raised her eyes, which shone in the dull light of day like a predator's, and responded coolly. It seems they did. Thieves that thought me an easy target. They thought wrong. Elena dismounted as well and looked towards the bodies. Five on one. Hardly a fair fight. The woman had resumed tending her blade. Not fair for whom? They were just brigands, not warriors. Not an ounce of the art between them. It would be a sad waste of life if theirs were worth anything. Sully crossed her arms and gave a disagreeable look in response. She had been one of them before, after all, and she felt her life was worth something. But she held her tongue for now. You aren't from around here, are you? Aleda asked, regarding the woman's clothing. What gave that away, I wonder? She's from the west, the far west, across an inland sea, a country called Yoduru. She gave him a curt nod, and he smiled back. You've traveled no trivial distance, Miss... Imadi. And your people are something seldom written about and never seen. What brings you to the kingdoms? Just a wanderer. Sounds like someone I know. Wither grinned. Gafgarn gave him a stony look. Your arm looks hurt. This? No injury. It's an affliction from birth. Doesn't seem to slow you down. Not unlike you and your eye, I would guess. Elena touched the patch over her eye, tracing the symbol on it. I was born with a pair, though. We all lose something. Perhaps we choose whether those losses cripple us or not. You and I decided not. 
Gafgarn huffed impatiently, feeling the woman's words weigh on him. He hefted himself back onto the carriage. If you're fine, then we need to move on. Have you seen anyone strange? An albino with a jester hat? He might have a girl with him, likely bound. Someone on horseback entered the wood, but they were too far off to see clearly. Could be who you're looking for. Then we should go. You might not want to go that way, she said, nodding lightly at the woods. Why not? Because the rest of the crew these idiots belong to are waiting in the trees over there. More than these made to attack me, but they fled when I cut down their friends. When they were running away, I heard them say I wasn't their intended target. Something about a big outlander with a wolf cloak. I'm guessing that's you. Gafgarn hopped off the carriage once more, causing it to sway and rock again. Aleda looked to the cops ahead, slipping her shield onto her arm in anticipation. Wither puffed heavily at his pipe. Sully and Doran traded knowing looks. More with those bandanas, Gafgarn asked, indicating the corpses. Amadi gave a curt nod and stood, accentuating the movement with a satisfying slide of her sword sinking into its scabbard at her waist. Gafgarn hefted his hammer, resting it on his shoulder as he gazed into the copse. Any idea how many? She placed her hat on her head, secured around her chin by twine, and said, Only two ran. I haven't exactly looked, but it sounds to me like you've got the history. So you tell me. She raised her eyes to his expectant. Seems the lady wants to accompany us into the fray. Why? Sounds like a bunch of thieves. That's as good a reason as any. If you're looking to loot them, they won't have much. They fled their camp Gafgarn demolished without taking any time to carry anything off. I'm only interested in their lives. The party then witnessed something truly rare. Gafgarn turned to them, bearing a grin, beaming with glee. His chest puffed in anticipation and stated with the richest mirth any present had heard bubble up from his gravelly baritone. Then let's go claim them! Now, you aren't suggesting we just saunter directly into a trap, are you, old boy? We? No, Doc. Just you. And it won't be their trap. It'll be ours. Shortly after, in the advancing dawn, the carriage trundled through the copse, the trail so narrow that overhanging branches scratched against the passing vehicle. Its lone driver puffed happily at a basic corncob pipe, bouncing with the rocking of the wagon. A stalwart horse tugged the affair along, huffing the comfortably cool air in his own way. Seemingly unbeknownst to either, eyes watched from the brush at either side, peering from behind trunks and among boughs. They watched hungrily, anticipating the valuables they might glean from the coming robbery. Some were disappointed that the wolf-hooded outlander was nowhere to be seen but they nonetheless relished the chance to murder the suit. Fingers rested anxiously on bowstrings and around hilts. Two gruff-looking men stepped from the verge into the path of the carriage, which caused Wither to pull lightly on the reins, stopping Percy. He puffed and looked expectantly at the two strangers. They wore red bandanas around their heads and brandished an ugly-looking sword and a spiked mace. Wither smiled at the weapons, noting the chipped blade and that the mace looked like little more than a small piece of lumber with iron spikes driven through it. You, the mace-wielder commanded, pointing his weapon at Wither. Off the carriage now! No sudden movements, or you'll find an arrow in your brain! Wither grinned and puffed, then replied. The thing about weapons, old boy, is that maintenance, regular, and practiced is key. Now, I see you two fine strapping lads, and I think to myself, here are some gentlemen, though entrepreneurial of spirit, plagued with poorly maintained tools. Indeed, your souls are willing, but how can you capture that evasive seductress called success with such decrepit arms? 
The one with the blade inspected his weapon, a look of dismay on his face, and said to no one in particular, Mine is looking a bit worse for wear. Shut it, idiot, the mace wielder replied. And you, no more talking, no more tricks. Off the carriage or I'll smash that jaw off myself. Wither rose and dismounted, still happily puffing, and continued. No need to be ashamed, old boy, for I carry the salvation that shall make your murdering and thieving all the more efficacious and pleasurable. He stepped to the door in his carriage, opened it, and stuck his body in, undulating with efforts to find some hidden gem within. In moments, he returned to the road, bearing a small device composed of two crossed wood slats fixed to a small platform with hinges and springs. The sides of the slats that faced inwards had a polished stone affixed to them so that they resembled shears. This, old boy, will keep any blade sharp for years to come. He began, taking his place in the center of the road. As he continued hawking his invention, he listened intently for a sign from the woods. Malicious intent silently waited with bated breath, in the form of bared blades and drawn bows amongst the brush and trees on either side of Wither. Some high, some low. These loathsome individuals locked eyes on their quarry, ready for Wither to make a wrong move for any surprises that might spring from the carriage. Some of those eyes scanned for the wolf cloak, hoping for the opportunity to exact revenge. Hearing about a handful of their comrades being cut down by a wandering swordsman further stoked their ire. So wolf or not, many were eager to take their frustrations out on the thin suit standing in the road. Some recognized him as the wiry figure that came into the camp as the dust settled, dispatching their fellows where he could. So intent was their attention that none noticed the clandestine approach of others in the wood. Sticking low... Gafgarn, Sully, and Doran approached silently from one side, while Aleda and Amadi skulked along from the other, capturing the ambush in a pincer. Wither continued prattling on, hawking his wares and putting on an act of ignorance, while the rest of the group closed in on the bandits. Gafgarn always preferred open battle to sneaking around, but as he saw his prey ahead, he knew the strategy was sound. They were outnumbered three to one. Better to thin their numbers from the shadows before drawing a skirmish. Still, after recent events, the opportunity to bust some heads brought a sense of exhilarated peace to the behemoth. Gafgarn huddled with his cohorts and whispered, Spread out and stay quiet. Sully, take care of the ones in the trees. Doran, clean up any that might notice and watch your footing. He watched the two split then approached his first victim leaning against a tree. His great hammer in one hand, Gafgarn reached around the man with the other, his hand grabbing the bandit's face and slamming the back of his head into the stout trunk. With a satisfying crack, the bandit's body slumped and slid down the timber, leaving a trail of glistening blood in its wake. Nearby, a body fell out of a tree with an arrow from Sully's bow stuck in his neck, and a bandit near it had his throat slit before he could sound an alarm. Doran used his victim's bandana to wipe his blade as he nodded to Gafgarn, and the three continued. On the other side, Aleda and Amadi made swift progress. Aleda used her shield to knock a woman to the floor, then dispatched her with a knife to her heart. Amadi darted between two sentries, precisely and quickly, skewering one and then slashing into the other in one fluid motion. Using her bolas, Aleda brought an archer down from the canopy, and Amadi glided in to finish him off. Unsheathing her sword, Aleda cut down another in the brush just as his eyes caught her slinking at him. Each team moved towards the trail in this way, cutting a swath with a mixture of expertise and luck. Several more were cut down silently, until Doran tripped on a stone, hitting the ground hard behind another target. 
As the bandit swiveled, his eyes lit with surprise when they caught sight of Doran scrambling to his feet. An arrow flashed by his side, missing him by inches. He let out a whistle as he saw Sully notching another arrow. His whistle was cut short with a bellowing roar. Gafgarn rudely introduced the business end of his hammer to the bandit's face. In the road, the two brigands were kneeling over Wither's contraption, the one with the blade sliding it carefully between the cross timbers. A whistle and then a roar erupted from the trees, causing the two to look into the wood with alarm. Then they turned to Wither and stood, one with his mace at the ready and the other testing the sharpened end of his sword with a gentle touch. Its now razor-keen edge cut through his thumb like butter, a rivulet of blood trickling down his hand onto his wrist. Ouch. Wow, it's much sharper, the thief said, while the other moved to attack Wither. I think we'll keep it after we kill you. Wither raised his hands and shrugged innocently to show he was unarmed. Suddenly, a bolt shot from his left wrist into the trees, causing a body to fall from a tree into the undergrowth at the side of the trail. The two would-be thieves looked on dumbfounded as Wither donned a bloodthirsty grin, smoke coiling from his corncob pipe like a snake prepared to strike. The mace wielder pounced, swiping his bludgeon down at Wither's head. Wither stepped sideways, the mace missing his face by a hair. He simultaneously jammed his hand to the bandit's chest, his secret blade piercing the man's heart. Finally recovering from his surprise, the sword wielder rushed in, cleaving the air. Wither brought up the blade from his right hand to block, and the sword slid off of it with enough force to break the mechanism. The blade hung limply by Wither's hand, and small pieces of metal and springs fell from his sleeve. Wither ducked under another swipe and brought the bloody blade on his left hand into play, puncturing his attacker's gut. As he let the body fall, an arrow stuck into the ground near him and he looked to the wood at his right to see several more brigands erupting from the brush. Wither ducked and ran to take cover behind the carriage, shooting each of his mini crossbows as he went. One bandit ducked numbly below a shaft, while another slumped in agony on the road, clutching his side. At the carriage, Wither crouched, taking shots at the approaching attackers. In Gafgarn's sections of wood, madness broke out. The trio revealed every bandit there turned from the road and pressed the attack. Gafgarn grinned as he charged into the fray, his hammer at the ready. Doran unsheathed his sword, his dagger still in his other hand, and prepared to defend himself from the onslaught. He was sure he would die. There was a score of armed devils bearing down on he and Gafgarn. The nearest to Doran collapsed in a heap as an arrow skewered his skull. Sully quickly switched out her bow for her blade and sped to Doran's aid. The two worked back to back winding between and around each other as they fended off blows and took advantage of openings. Sully blocked a sword strike and kicked her opponent in the groin, then spun to cut the wrist of a hand clutching a blade aimed for Doran. Doran cut an enemy down in the leg, swiveling to cut the throat of the man still reeling from his growing hit. Then he locked eyes with the archer, bow drawn, a deadly arrowhead pointing right at him. Gafgarn was there in a flash, the hammer breaking the archer's arm before the shot could be taken. It was as if a dam had burst and Gafgarn was the flood. He, his bulk, and his hammer, an overwhelming force flowing around Dorne and Sully, taking all on its path. He was an artist with his hammer, knowing how to perfectly follow through with its weight. Each swing, elegant brushstroke, moving right to another, launching from one target to the next. He roared and bellowed as he shattered one bandit's shield, launching the foe into a stump, then continued with the swing into an uppercut at another approaching his rear. Meanwhile, 
Aleda and Amadi took full advantage of the chaos. Distracted by the alarm raised on the other side of the carriage, bandits hopped from the trees and advanced towards the road, their backs to the two women warriors stalking towards them. Both charged, cutting down the unsuspecting force like wheat. By the time any had noticed, six more lay dead and four survivors struggled to mount a defense. Aleda and Amadi split the rest between each other. Imadi made quick work of her two targets, connecting to a parry from one and feigning an opening to swiftly deflect a blade from the other before cutting the two down in one stroke. Aleda charged into a woman, chucking an axe, the blade sticking into her shield harmlessly. The bandit fell back from the blow, tripping over a stone. Aleda blocked the swing of a mace with her blade, then caught a second swing with her shield, feeling the weapon bounce from the impact. She used the opening to cut a fatal gash into her opponent's gut. Then she spun to finish off the woman with a thrust, catching her mid-charge dagger in her hand. Confirming the forest lay devoid of the living, the two women approached the road. Amadi flicking her blade to shower blood on an unfortunate shrub. They found Withers sitting atop his carriage. Several dead bodies with bolts in them around and on the carriage. He nonchalantly kicked the body overhanging the edge as he gingerly lit his pipe. Wiggling his mustache, he greeted his companions with a smile and puffs of smoke shooting from his nostrils. Surveying the scene, Aleda noted only one sprawling body showed any evidence of life. A bandit at the side of the road clutching a bolt in his side, moaning. She made her way to him. Amadi cut across the trail to the opposite side, stopping short as a body hurtled out from the bush to crash violently and sickeningly against the carriage. Wither rocked with the motion it caused looking over his shoulder at Gafgarn, sauntering casually from the wood. His hammer, slick with gore, rested on his shoulder, and remnants of his bloody work flecked his entire body. He let out a weighty sigh of satisfaction as Sully and Doran walked out from the brush, still looking about for more attackers. Amadi flicked her blade once more and approached Aleda. The hunter kneeled over the last surviving bandit, his life quickly fading. Pain on his face. Any more of you left? Screw you! He answered through clenched teeth. This was foolish. Smidgen is dead. There's nothing to be gained for you by seeking the wolf. We didn't know. He'd be sneaking in the woods. And there's plenty to be earned. How so? You guys are really stupid. You know that? You take out the bandit king and think you can just walk away? Mark's been put on you. Every thief, murderer, and beggar will be keeping an eye out for you. A lady could hear Gafgarn's heavy footsteps approach and stop behind her as she asked. Who would care, exactly? Someone close to Smidgen. Someone pretty pissed off by you killing him. Someone who thinks your heads are worth something. Family? Brother? Sister? <laughs> oh, <coughs> nothing so pleasant as all that. Who wants me? <laughs> His ex-wife. Looks like things are getting uglier for Gafgarn. Your narrator and the voices of Gafgarn, Tediv, Wither, Doran, and Bandits is Mike Bethel. We welcome our great new voice actress, Deborah Crystalball, as the voice of Imadi. Aleda is Julia Eve. Sully is Alexis Bird. Production, music, and sound effects are me, Daniel French. Our next episode begins our first zombie story. Until then, keep your cosmos clean.
Do you like thrillers, action, adventure, mystery, crime drama? Well, you're in luck, because here on the Mutual Audio Network, we have Thursday Thrillers. You can subscribe and have a dose of adrenaline-pumping audio every Thursday from your favorite podcast player. Get it here now. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.